The following sermon is from Redemption Bible Church of New Braunfels, where we are proclaiming the authority of God's Word without apology in order to fulfill the Great Commission in the spirit of the Great Commandment. Your copy of God's Word now to Philippians 1, 19 through 26. Again, that's Philippians 1, 19 through 26. We're continuing our series through this book, and we pick up where we left off last week uh, in this series we've entitled Durable. And uh, seeking a faith that is durable, that is steadfast, that is immovable, because it is found in Christ. And so as you're turning there, I want to just begin our message this morning by reading the verses that we'll be looking at right away. So you're turning there, flipping through Philippians, is in your New Testament. Um, we pick it up in verse uh, 19, well actually the tail end of 18 here. But follow along now as I read it. It says this, Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain." If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. This is God's word for God's people. Aren't these some glorious verses for us this morning? And even as they are kind of resonating there in your own soul, as you are taking in what uh, Paul has uh, said here, let me just ask uh, this question and ask this of yourself. It's the very question, I think, that gets at the heart of what Paul is uh, teaching us this morning. And the question is this. What do you live for? Or to personalize it and ask yourself it in this way. What do I live for? Paul, remember, is chained in prison and has uh, those moments throughout the day to think about what is most important, to ask of himself those critical questions that our busyness and schedule oftentimes crowd out of our mind and, and where we don't have time or don't take the time to reflect upon them. What do I live for? And as you ask that question, maybe you would answer it this way. Well, I live for my kids. Everything I do is to set them up for success. I want them to have chances that I never had. Or maybe you would answer it this way. I, I live for my legacy. That's why I work. I want to leave my mark. I want to better the world around me. You might answer it this way. Well, I, I live for the weekend. I work all day, I, I, I work all week, and so I live for the weekend where I can just go relax at the river, where I can watch sports, where I can have time to do what I want with nobody telling me what to do. Or maybe you'd answer that you live for work. It's not the weekend, that you actually love what you do. 
You find fulfillment in, in your success. You, you like what you are accomplishing through your, the work that God has called you to do. Maybe you'd answer that you live for travel. Yes, you work, but all, you can't wait until your next uh, uh, trip is booked. Who knows how you would answer? Maybe you'd I live for adventure. I live for my grandkids now. I live for this cause or that cause. I live for my girlfriend. I live for food or for reading or you fill in the blanks. But as we read the passage here and we get into the mind and heart of Paul, his answer is this. To, for Paul to live is Christ and to die is gain. That's his focus, a focus that is simple, clear, and urgent. See, for him, it's really quite simple. And the verb here is, is, is actually supplied. If you're taking notes, it's just this. To live equals Christ. To die equals gain. A durable focus here. A focus that really, whatever happens to him, what, what is the worst possible outcome? See, everything has else in his life. Even if it fits on that list, those roles and responsibilities that are good uh, and even from the Lord, they are simply just means to these ends. There are those opportunities that Paul addressed in the previous passage, those gospel opportunities. And it's a, a, a durable focus here, a durable gospel focus that has one eye on heaven, the reward and one eye here on earth in the work that is before him. So you might think of Paul's focus in this way. Of a, it's like driving down the highway, driving down I-35. And the, the faster that you drive, the more that your focus is fixed on the road ahead of you and everything else on the periphery gets blurry. Now, I'm not advocating driving like a maniac down I-35 right now. But you get the picture, right? The faster that you go, the, your eyes are honed in on the roadway before you, on the markers before you. Your hands are firmly gripped on the wheel, and your heart is really giddy with the thrill of driving fast. Not that I would know from experience. But church, the same is true when our uh, focus is fixed fast on Jesus Christ. The more he comes into view and, the, the, and everything else it becomes blurry in the periphery. But all this is easy to say up front, isn't it? All this is easy to say, right? We can give a hearty amen to Paul and say, yes, uh, my life is for Christ and I can't wait to die and be with the Lord. But then there's real life, isn't there? <laughs> there's, there's real life. Distractions abound discouragements daily, even moment by moment, attack us. And our focus then turns to our problems. Our focus then lasers in on our to-do list and the things that we have to get done. And so the question is here, as we look to Paul's durable focus, as we look to this equation and make it our own, how do we keep Christ in focus? Especially now at Christmas, right? We, we love the Christmas season, but how do we keep Christ in focus when the distractions are plenty and the discouragements abound? Well, he teaches us in our passage this morning how to keep Christ in focus, and it answers it this way. So you want to keep Christ in focus, here's our first point. It's with focused attention. 
focused attention. Now this is uh, uh, one of our values in uh, Redemption Kids and other things that we ask them to give a focused attention. But this is good for us as well as believers. You want to keep Christ in focus, then give Him your attention. Keep your eyes on the end. Look with me at the text here and remember that Paul is in prison as he writes this. Mind you, right? He, he is chained to a guard 24-7. He has no free time, no alone time. He is in horrible conditions and dependent upon the care of other people. Dependent on, on other people for his most basic of needs. And he's just simply waiting. Waiting for a hearing, waiting for a trial, waiting for uh, the next day. And in the midst of all this, yet Paul chooses not to wallow in pity over his conditions. Rather, what does it say in the very beginning of our passage? Rather, he chooses to rejoice. He chooses to joy. It's, it's really where the last passage left off as, as he was sitting in prison and hearing the stories of these people that were seeking to cause him harm and were preaching out of jealousy and rivalry and selfish ambition. He chose not to uh, get sidetracked, but to rather rejoice that Christ is being uh, proclaimed. And even now in his own situation, he says, and you know what? Even where I find myself, yes, I will rejoice. It's a resolution. It's a mindset that he has that, where he's saying, yes, I will rejoice. But don't miss this here. Take this in because his certainty, his resolution, the mindset that he has is not just born out of his own willpower. It's a choice that he is making, no doubt, but his certainty comes from beyond himself. His certainty comes not from his own ability to put everything else out of his mind and to focus in on Christ. No, he can remain joyful and keep his eyes focused on the end because he has some considerable help. Both help from the people around him and from the Spirit inside him. Do you see where verse 19 comes? He says, I know, he's very certain that through your prayers. And then he says, and the help or the support, the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit here. Now, this is kind of a strange way to say it, but it's a reference to the Trinity, the interconnectedness of the, of the, the Trinity of, God's, uh, uh, of the Godhead there. And so, with the help of God's people around Him, even though they are physically distanced and far away from Him, and the Spirit that resides within Him, He can remain joyful and keep His eyes fixed on the end. So here's the reality, church. The best gift that we can give one another this Christmas is our prayers. The best gift that you can give and can give at any moment, at any time, without, uh, without losing any sort of resources, the, the gift that we always have access to in abundance is the gift of our prayers, praying for one another to these ends that they would remain fixed in Christ, that they would uh, continue to grow in our, their holiness. And as we do, then through the work of the indwelling Holy Spirit, He will do His work to keep our focus, to keep the spotlight on Jesus Christ. See, Paul is he's convinced of these things. Even as we saw how he prayed for them, he knows that the prayers are mutual. Uh, he can feel their effects. His joy is, uh, is, is abundant here because he knows that they are praying and because the Spirit is doing this work in him. And see, this is really the, the work of the Holy Spirit. There's lots of confusion about who the Spirit is and what He does, but I found this quote really helpful in J.I. Packer's book, Keep in Step with the Holy Spirit. He has a, just a real helpful illustration for us. You know, as you think of the, 
of the of floodlights. You know, and there's lots of floodlights out now in people's yards, aren't there? As you drive by uh, people's yards and they've got all those blow-up uh, Christmas decorations, snowmen and Santa Claus and reindeer and nativity scenes. Anybody seen them? Yeah. All right, who's got them in their yard? A few of you all? Yeah, a few of you? If my son had his biggest wish this Christmas, it would be that our yard was full of all that stuff. He's convinced that when he's an adult, that's, that's what his yard is going to be. Said, man, when you are out on your own and you're paying the electric bill and have the time on your hands, be my guest. But in many of those yards, the, the, the object is what is in, the, is in focus. And there's a floodlight that's hidden here, shining its light on the decorations in the yard. And this is a very helpful illustration that J.I. Packer brings out about the role of the Holy Spirit. Listen here as I read this quote. He says, When floodlighting is well done, the floodlights are so placed that you do not see them. You are not in fact supposed to see where the light is coming from. What you are meant to see is just the building on which the floodlights are trained. The intended effect is to make it visible when otherwise it would not be seen for the darkness and to see it and to maximize its dignity by throwing all its details into relief so that you see it properly. This perfectly illustrates the Spirit's new covenant role. He is, so to speak, the hidden floodlight shining on the Savior. Or think of it this way. It is as if the Spirit stands behind us, throwing light over our shoulder on Jesus who stands facing us. The Spirit's message to us is never, Hey, look at me, listen to me, come to me, get to know me, but always look at Christ. Look at Christ and see His glory. Listen to Him and hear His word. Go to Him and have life. Get to know Him and taste His gift of joy and peace. End quote. And isn't this so uh, uh, marvelous as we think of what the Holy Spirit is doing in our own life? Even as we pray for one another, that the work of the Spirit through our prayers, even in this season, with focused attention, is shining the floodlight of, of the gospel onto Christ, of shining that light so bright that even in the midst of Christmas, we would begin to see the beauty of the incarnation or the coming of God with us. Emmanuel. And see, with focused attention in this season here, we can, we can continue to see Christ even in the midst of our uh, greatest trials. Even, even the, the, through our prayers for one another and the work of the Holy Spirit, He begins to do this in such a countercultural way to use even our suffering, even our trials, even the worst of possible circumstances to make Christ shine that much brighter in our lives. And of this church, Paul was certain. He was convinced. And how awesome that the Spirit would do it in us and that we could help one another by praying this way. This Christmas, in the midst of our busiest, let us not neglect our place, our role to pray for one another, and let us not doubt the power of our prayers for one another. But here's the thing here. We, we know that Paul is so certain, and it is a certainty that comes from outside of him in this focus here. But what is it that Paul is so certain of? Look at the end of verse 19. He is so helpful that this will turn out for his what? His deliverance. You see that word there? His deliverance. And, and it's literally the same word that we would use for salvation, that he, he was certain of his rescue. Now, what is, what is he getting at here? What is he so certain of? Well, he, he, he's certain that his imprisonment won't last forever. 
This is a hope that we have that in everything. There is a silver lining. And for Paul, he knew that his imprisonment would result in his deliverance either through his death, as he says a few verses later, or through his actual, his release from prison. In either case, God is glorified and the gospel advances. Or as he says, that Christ would be honored in his body. And because he had such a focus on Christ to live as Christ and to die as gain, he has this then eager expectation, this hope, and a hope that isn't just like wishful thinking, like, you know, I hope the fog clears off today so we can play outside. No, it is a certain, uh, a, a confident assurance that better days are ahead. He is unashamed, it says. He's full of courage that this will happen. Because here's the thing, church. Our suffering always has an expiration date. Your your suffering always has an expiration date. Though maybe not according to our schedule. You know, sometimes in in the midst of our suffering, in the midst of, uh, you know, imprisonment, in the midst of circumstances that we don't like, that are distracting us from Christ, we want to kind of set the terms, right? We want our deliverance to happen like we order pizza to come at 7 p.m. tonight. And that's not how the Lord works. It's going to work until the light of Christ is shown most brightly in us. But we know that all of our struggle will have an expiration date, whether through our death or through our deliverance. And this focus here, this focus on Christ, then leads to the pinnacle verse in verse 21. And the anthem that really is, I hope, uh, embodied in our own life, that to live equals Christ and to die is gain. See, Christ is always and forever our prize. Christ is our prize, and when He is, no matter what happens, whether we live or whether we die, we win. Whether we live or whether we die, we win. See, we don't have to, as believers, we don't have to be afraid of what could kill us. We don't have to panic about, uh, about risks that may be real. We don't have to be anxious about what our life will amount to. And we don't have to worry about what things will cost. And when Christ is our prize both in life and in death, this focus is liberating, isn't it? This focus is so liberating, especially as we think as we live in the midst of a perpetual pandemic. As we live in a, in, a, in a world that is just always abounding in fear, where fear is more viral than any uh, disease or threat, where, where, we, where, where we are perpetually pulled, uh, our attention is pulled away from Christ. But see, when Christ is our focus, we don't have to be, have our attention pulled away from Christ or the mission that He has set us on. Where even now in these days and in this holiday season, we can say to live is Christ and to die is gain and really mean it. And really embody it and really keep an attention fixed on Christ. But this is not all it's uh, not as easy as we make it seem sometimes, is it? See, we want our attention, we want a focused attention on Christ. But here's the second way as we think about how do, we, well, how do we keep Christ in focus? Well, let's just keep moving through the verses here in verse 22. It's through a focused application. A focused application to keep our hands on the work. See, what gets our attention gets our energy, right? 
What happens our attention gets our, gets our work. And sometimes we treat maybe uh, uh, the world and we're, uh, we're, we're looking at Christ in, in, in kind of that way like a, a kid whose attention is focused on the TV, right? Anybody have kids or grandkids? Like a screen is in front of them and they're just like, you know? Like there's no turning their attention away from that. And they're just fixed in on it. And, you know, and over here all things are happening. You're trying to call to them and they're just like, you're not getting their attention. But the things in the world can, can grasp our attention like that. And, you know, and, and God's over here just like calling our attention away from it. But we need to turn our eyes away. And, and, and how do we do that? By occupying our hands with the work that God has given us. Of occupying our hands with the, with the mission that Christ has given us. See, when our eyes are on Christ and what He is doing, then we want to work for Christ. And this is where, found, where Paul found both his consolation and his purpose in his imprisonment even as he thought of his release. See, look at verse 22. He says, If I live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet, which I shall choose, I cannot tell whether to live or to die. He's hard-pressed here. See, the best-case scenario for Paul was to die and be with the Lord, wasn't it? It's the best-case scenario for all of us. And not in some kind of like weird way where we're all just looking for an escape and can't wait to die. That's not what Paul is getting at here. But for the believer, the best case scenario for us is to depart and be with the Lord. For that is, that is far, far better, he says. This, it's the prize. It's what all of us want. However, the best case scenario for the Philippians was for him to continue to live and to continue ministry among them. Right? It's as if, well, if, I don't, if the best case scenario for me doesn't happen, then while I'm here, I'm not going to neglect the work, the labor that God has called me to do. So the best case scenario for them was for him to continue on ministry of preaching the word, of making disciples, of maturing disciples, and multiplying disciples all to the glory of God. And with these two options here, he's hard-pressed. He's hemmed in from both sides. He sees the benefit of both. And the reality is there's no bad option when our focus is Christ. There's no bad option here when He is in focus and when we are working for Christ. There's not a bad option when Christ is our priority. When living our life to His glory uh, is our priority. What did we learn last week? I hinted at it a few moments ago if you're here last week. But what was that main thing? That everything in life is a gospel opportunity. And when this is what we live for, gospel opportunities for the glory of God, then what we choose to do with our time is this fruitful labor then. The reality is there's no shortage of things to do in our life, is there? There's no shortage of, of, uh, of labor in our life. Our to-do lists are long and laborious. Even our plans you know, for fun and recreation are numerous and expensive. There's no shortage of things that we want to do. So if we want to earnestly say to live is Christ, then we must prioritize to live the type of life that Christ lived. We must prioritize the gospel work that Christ was about and we must have the kind of focus that characterized Christ. And so what does that mean for us? Does that mean we have to, like, Jesus, go get 12 followers and set off on a, you know, on a, a multi-year journey through Central Texas preaching and healing people? Not necessarily. No. doesn't mean that. But it does mean that through the roles and responsibilities that God has given you, you live for His glory and to influence others, not so you can get ahead. 
We live for Christ. See, that's, this is our focused application, where your influence is a gospel influence, where you are sharing and showing that God is holy, where your life is constantly telling the, the, the story that God was the creator of the universe, and He created all things, and He is good and sovereign created humans, and then sin entered the world through Adam and Eve, and our sin has separated us from God, where we are without hope and without help and, and, and can't do anything about it on our own to uh, make us right with the Father. God, knowing this, sent His Son out of great love and mercy for us. He sent His Son to be the hope and help that we couldn't get for ourselves. He lived the perfect life as he was born of a baby. He was tempted in every way then through his life. Completely fulfilling the law, doing everything that was good and right that the Lord had set before him. Obeying his Father in everything so that we might be saved. And when we repent of our sin and we place our faith in Christ, then we are saved. So we follow Christ as Lord and walk in newness of life. See, this is the gospel that we are constantly sharing and showing with our life. And so even as we want to keep Christ in focus this Christmas, and we want to have this focused application, we want to be working for Christ, and we want to want our influence to be a gospel influence, ask yourself this, you know, if I, for the sake of the gospel, is it better for me to remain in my role? whether it be in the home or work or your class or wherever it may be, is your influence a gospel influence and that you being there is fruitful labor for others' benefit? Or if you were removed from the situation, would the gospel discontinue there? You know, we understand God's sovereignty, but the question remains and reveals our priorities. Is Christ our priority in our roles and responsibilities? Are we shining a gospel light there? You know, this Christmas, we must keep our hands active in gospel work. We must keep our hands uh, with a focused application on sharing this good news of Jesus Christ. Even as our hands are active in wrapping and shopping and baking and traveling. But you know what? As Christ is our priority, as our attention is fixed on, on, on Christ and our work and our life is fixed on Him, then along the way our heart keeps up. Our heart comes with it where our affections begin to follow along with the things that we're thinking and the things that we are doing. See, here's the third way as we think about keeping Christ in focus that Paul would teach us is we must have a focused affection and keep our heart in the Lord. We have a focused attention, yes, and a focused application, but also a focused affection here in our heart. Look at verse 25 here. As Paul, he, he doubles down in his certainty. He doubles down in his certainty when he said, he said, I know these things will happen in verse 19. Now he's saying, I'm convinced of this, and I know that I will remain and continue with you all. He will, he's convinced that he will continue in the gospel work. Why? Because there is still growth for them in the faith. They still had progress to make. They, uh, they still had uh, work to do in their sanctification, and he was devoted to helping them grow in this way. 
More than anything else, he wanted to see them make progress in Christ-likeness, of saying no to sin and yes to godliness, to watching them grow in the same type of focused attention and focused application and focused affection. He knew that they had sin to kill and satisfaction in Christ to cultivate as they walked and matured in their faith. And see, as even as he knew this, and he was devoted to helping them grow in it, and they were delighting to walk in this way, this, this worshipful delight would existed on both sides of the equation. For Paul, his joy was in the work for Christ and the resulting fruit in them. Isn't that what we love as we are working with somebody, as we love somebody, and as they make a choice to follow Christ? Doesn't that bring us great joy to watch people follow the Lord and make especially those hard decisions to follow Christ? Doesn't that bring us great joy? And it existed on the other side for the Philippians because their joy was in one seeing Paul that he says, you'll have ample glory to rejoice in Christ that he would be delivered and come to them. That would bring them great joy. But also as they themselves grew in their walk with Christ. How cool is that? See, don't we, isn't there a resulting joy when we make choices to follow Christ and our own progress in the faith as we grow more and more satisfied in Christ? And the beauty here in this is there is a compounding increase in our worship and our fellowship when believers are mutually focused on Christ. See, when we are isolated when we are away from community, then our affection begins to dwindle. A log left away from the fire uh, will eventually go out. But have you experienced the sweetness of an uncommon community? Have you experienced the richness of growing in Christ with, uh, uh, with others, of, of sharing that progress in the faith? But see, when Christ is our pride, you, we find others who, who share that same uh, pride and boasting in Christ, and it produces a joy that really only believers can fully experience. For it's an eternal joy, it's a durable joy, it's an unshakable joy in Christ Jesus. But it's so easy to stagnate, isn't it? It's so easy to, to grow cold and stale in the faith. It's so easy to stall out on the road, even, when, even during Christmas, isn't it? There's so much going on. We have late nights and parties and things and then our routine changes and we're up late and we sleep in and then we miss our quiet time. And we get off and then it affects our day. It, you know, we, it's easy to, 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 to just grow cold as we hear the same messages at Christmas. We've read these passages year in and year out. Yeah, we know Jesus came as a baby, right? We've heard it countless times. We can recite these verses. It just—it's lost its wonder. The uh, the measurable message that Christ, that God would humble Himself in Christ and come, be born of a baby, has just kind of become like another like yeah, piece of news that we scroll through. So how do we stoke that? How do we stoke the fire? How do we get the engine going again of our faith? By one of the means that God has given us through community, through these, through these relationships that are so valuable as we spark one another and stoke the embers of faith, as we keep our affection for Christ burning hot through our prayers, through, our, through sharing what we have learned by hearing it just a different way from another brother or sister. You feeling cold or stale right now? You not eager for Christmas to get here? 
Are you loathing all the work that is before you? Well, don't wait. Reach out to a brother or sister. Let them pray for you. Let, let their faith bring you along. And together, you, your faith will be mutually encouraging to one another in the same way that Paul longed for with the Philippians here and that it brought him great, great joy and focus on Christ. See, the goal wasn't just that he would grow in joy. The, the goal was that Christ would be more before him and that would result in a greater satisfaction in his life. And see, when we put all these things together, when, when our attention and our application and our affection is on Christ, then He, then Jesus comes into this high-definition focus in our life, and everything else just kind of becomes blurry along the side. All the lights and decorations just kind of fade over there. The, the, the food and the flavors of all the delicious Christmas things, uh, really, uh, they pale in comparison to the sweetness of knowing Christ and what He came to do. When we put all these things together, it's then that we can earnestly, confidently, and unashamedly say as the anthem of our life, to live is Christ and to die is gain. With a focus that then doesn't just come into view and disappear, but it's a focus that lasts, that's durable, that's unshakable and lasting. It's a focus that's unshakable because it's fixed on the beauty and strength of Jesus Christ. Isn't this glorious, church? Pray with me now.